because I knew that, that we needed the influence of someone at her caliber, or we needed the influence of an artist of that caliber to help open up this conversation or bridge the gap between pop culture and classical art. My name is Chris Campbell, and this is Creative Catalyst, the podcast that sheds light on creative journeys within the industry. In this season, we're talking to creatives from around the world about their experiences from the grassroots up. They will be sharing their perspective, stories, and advice they'd give to others, along with interesting slices of the career they've had within the industry. My guest this week is Gabe Stone Shea, a ballet dancer who is a soloist for American Ballet Theatre. Performing around the globe and training in multiple countries, Gabe has some really interesting perspectives to share. In this episode, we talk about his mentality when deciding to pursue ballet, experiences he will never forget with ABT, and collaborating with creatives like Alicia Keys. Gabe Stone Shea, thank you so much for coming on Creative Catalyst. We've wanted to do this for three or four weeks now, but everything technically went wrong last time. So I'm excited we're back. You've already started doing dance moves, so I know this is going to be a good one. I can't compete with your dance moves, but I can simply copy them kind of like a music cover. So, uh, yeah, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I feel like these are my morning moves because we're in different time zones, so you can definitely do these. I'm just doing it is allowed. finger pointing, but um, yeah, I'm doing well. As soon as you hit 12 p.m., you then are not allowed to do that dance move. It has exactly. to go into like afternoon, evening dance moves. Afternoon so I delight. understand. Yeah. As I do with all of my guests, I normally start with a quote. Did you want to share the quote that you had and why it means something to you? So I lost the quote that I wanted to say, but I will say a quote that my grandmother used to say, which can be interpreted, interpreted in many ways. She said to me, um, procrastination is the enemy of time. But I feel like with that, people feel that procrastination means you're being lazy or not doing something. Whereas if you interpret it in a different way, it just means not actively thinking. You don't have to actively be doing, but you can be thinking, you can be generating, you can be rejuvenating to then generate. But something that um, can be a catalyst for progress is not, is the antithesis of procrastination. Mm. So it's just trying to be, I, I like where you're going with that. There's a lot of squinting now. <laughs> Sorry. Do some hand gestures. <laughs> you know. Really, really put some spice onto that. Let it feel. But it's, uh, <laughs> I think what's interesting with that is, I guess it's, it's thinking about being active with what you're doing. And, and you can be active with being passive. Like you can exactly. be active with chilling out, with taking some time, like you're saying, to rejuvenate. And then that, that revitalizes you to go out and do more Which rather than huge... just seeing it as, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you go. No, I was just going to say it's a huge common misconception, in it, which is why there's some people who just run themselves into the ground by, by banging at the same nail or trying to fit a, a round peg through a square hole and not realizing that they need to, you know, draw their hand back and, and switch items so it will fit, you know. Yeah, Ooh, to assess the situation. So many bumper stickers. This is a... <laughs> uh, so many t-shirts are going to be made after this. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. So that is a quote that your grandmother used to say to you. And I know that I always kind of go back to childhood for people and kind of influences and where that came from. Well, would you say that your grandmother was one of the main points of influence for you as a child and when you were like forging your identity? She was a huge part of my um, upbringing and, and, and a big influence. I feel like if you can recognize um, comfort from both the receiving perspective and just the appreciation perspective, um, which I think I did, um, I was conscious of the love that she gave me and I was conscious of um, the warmth and comfort that she brought to me. So that kind of... Um, was always something that I acknowledge. And I think, I don't, I don't know if it's, hmm, I don't want to use this in a weird way, but um, I've never felt any weirdness about me being adopted, but it is an interesting thought because my mom's a psychologist, which is why I've been therapized my entire life. And I feel like 
I'm always analyzing life. But huh? <laughs> we talked about we talked about early development as 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 infants and how you know people think like oh you can just put a baby on a schedule they're kind of like a, like a neurological machine until they gain consciousness of life. But really, it's 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 an integral part of a human's development in those stages. So really, giving to them, um, you can I don't know make or break someone in in a way, and and I think. Um, maybe neurologically, I understood that I was being chosen and loved um, for me and not for blood relation. If that makes mm. any sense. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I know that at different points we've spoken about your upbringing and how you you've come from lots of different perspectives with like your your life and who your parents are and and everything like that and i know that you're the only dancer within your family aren't you i am which is very interesting because i feel like dance is something where it's either everyone in the family kind of goes and does it or no one really partakes in it i feel like it's something that you gain from someone within your family or something someone has a passion or an interest and then they express it to you how did you find that passion when you were a kid was dance always just that movement that feeling was always just oozing out of you mm. and they kind of just saw that and put you in the right place to fulfill that need or what what was that journey like well dance is a hereditary disorder so um i caught it no i'm just kidding um i <laughs> <laughs> um no my mom um as well as being a psychologist um was also an artist um i don't know how she had time for 12 lives but she did and went to art school and blah, blah, blah. And so when I was growing up in Philadelphia, she would take me to all sorts of different, um, you know, exhibitions, gallery openings, performance art, ballet, modern, like the works, um, to the point where I was overexposed, uh, to the arts community and, um, kind of felt like anything and everything was possible. Um, so I made the decision myself to, to start ballet. Wow. And was it just when you went to the ballet and you saw them moving, you gravitated towards that and that's what you wanted to do? Or was it because it was kind of within yourself? You didn't have to see it to know that that's what you wanted to do. Well, I think I, it was definitely, I needed to see an example to know that I could, um, pursue it. But it was already pretty innate in me. I always tell the story that I, my grandmother from Ghana used to speak on the phone to relatives in Ga, um, which is the language, one of the languages. And when I was two and three, I would literally do like interpretive dance, like through her legs and around her at, um, while she's talking on the phone. And, um, I just couldn't stop moving and found music within everything. And then music also drove everything at the same time. So, um, I was constantly either interpreting sound to make movement or using music to dance and, and emote. And, um, when I saw it on stage, I was like, Oh, wait, there's a, there's a house for this. There's a place for this. I can just, you know, do that. Yeah. And I guess from seeing it from the outside with ballet, it feels like a very much like the professionals are incredibly young compared to a lot of other creative arts where normally they're five to 10 years older. And so I guess you seeing people who didn't look too dissimilar to you age wise doing it on a professional level, did it feel like that was going to be not an easy step, but it felt very, very tangible that you could go on to do this as a profession? Well, I'm not sure that I drew the conclusion of age because when I first saw or consciously saw ballet, I was maybe four. Um, okay. Yeah, and um, you are a professional pretty pretty young. I think the youngest um, in the more recent times um, is around 16 and 17, uh, which is when I became a professional. Um, but, yeah, it was... It, there was nothing but the romanticism of, of me of envisioning what I could do with that space. So when when you did decide that you wanted to look at ballet, were there other I know you you were saying that your mum was showing you loads of different art forms that you could do. Were you exploring all of it or did it really feel like you just locked on to ballet because this movement was what you really wanted to do? Or did you explore all of these different options? I mean, um, in terms of 
really pursuing. I didn't pursue anything else. I was like, I'm dancing. Um, but in terms of trying things, I did everything. I mean, alongside going to all these things, there were oftentimes, especially in Philadelphia, because it was a very booming art city, still is um, kind of. And there was always some sort of uh, kids class or something that attached to what was going on. So we would go to this place called PAFA, which I forget what the acronym means, um, but it's an arts school and they would have some sort of exhibition and then they'd have like a thing where the kids go off and they like throw pots and make clay things or they like make soap out of lavender and essential oils. And there's always something that I could do activity wise that, that was parallel to what I, whatever I was seeing. Um, or I would just make it happen myself. I was, I think my mom um, instilled the freedom of creativity within me. So um, if, you know, I saw, I don't know, some sort of African garb woven out of um, leaves and, and, and silver, silver thatch and hay or something, and they danced in it to this thing at a performance, I would go out into the streets of Philadelphia and like cut a branch off a tree and try to make it into something and, and was very inspired in that way. That's really cool. Yeah. And do you feel like that initial, just from what you're saying there, where it was like, especially when you were younger and, and you were still discovering all of this and you would find something that would inspire. Do you feel like that is something that as creatives, you start to lose over time as you grow up? Like that's that initial spark. I know I used to write huge storybooks when I was younger. Can't do it now to the same degree, I feel. Maybe if I sat down. But I'm always curious about what people's perspective is on that, where, you know, when it's like the the creative getting older starts to lose those initial sparks just mm -hmm. from age and getting like untaught how to be a child. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's um, societal is a big one. Um, I think putting on the adult hat gives all of us pressure um, to, and makes us not lean into the ability to play, um, mm. which it really is when you're a kid. And, and um, I mean, amazing things happen, whether or not they're polished or not. You, you, you can write a storybook. And, and maybe even if you like look back at that, those pages now, you're like, wait, I can turn this into some weird novel or, or it could be a kid's book or whatever. Um, but we, yeah, we lose the ability to play with adulthood, um, not because of our age, but because I think of society um, and our, you know, expectations for ourselves. Um, I think the pursuit of humanity in general has been surrounding, surrounding surviving and if we can't kind of be in a village surviving together and kind of contributing together, then we're fending for ourselves and that means money and that means, you know, what makes money and then everything's based off of that as opposed to uh, artistic fulfillment or, or human fulfillment or love or anything. It's always based off of, can I support myself and the ones closest to me? And um, that can be, uh, a deterrent for creativity. I always think it's a really interesting like topic to wrap your head around and to get so many different perspectives on it. And I guess I'm curious because I know that education system is slightly different in the US to the UK. And even though I am half American, I have I did not grow up in the US and I didn't go to high school or anything. But what was that like? I know you were doing a lot of ballet and dance outside of school, but within school, how were you navigating that path of education when you truly did believe that ballet was going to be what you would what you were going to do professionally going forward which is what you're doing right now yeah it was interesting because i felt um that at a certain point school felt frivolous um because i'm not sure how the education system looks in the uk but there's a lot of repetition past a certain point past past your fifth years in school, um, I just remember looking back at it and, and I, and I got very good grades. Um, but it just felt like, a, you know, a very, very light progression of the same thing over and over and over and over again. Um, and so I, yeah, I hated a lot of it. Um, but 
halfway through eighth grade, I ended up leaving school anyway, and I, I started doing uh, cyber school, which felt less, well, felt more frivolous in the sense that I, I knew that it was just kind of like a check thing that I had to do uh, to, to be accepted in the world, finish high school. Um, <laughs> But I did and, and um, got a full, my high school degree, not even like a GED or anything. Like I did the full thing, but um, it was very, um, I don't know, time consuming, especially in my mind when I wanted to just be dancing. But I, I left school in eighth grade to um, go to a conservatory that I was dancing essentially all day. Um, it was a full day program and they had slots for us to do school and they had a school program, but I was doing something separate. Um, so yeah, in short, it felt frivolous. <laughs> yeah. But then yeah. when you got to that point where you could then pursue it nearly full time, mm. which was, did you say 13 years old? That's kind of when it, it shifted. I guess eighth grade. What is Around that? then, I think. Right before high school. I don't know what age I was. Yeah. 12, 13, <laughs> some, something time. like that. That time. That time. <laughs> that time. Yeah. But it, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's annoying. <laughs> so when you moved to that conservatory and then you were just surrounded by a load of like-minded people, was that was that conservatory purely ballet? Was it purely dance or was it all the creative arts? And so you were suddenly went from a high school where it was everyone and anyone to a place which was like this hub for just people with off-the-wall thinking and, and creativeness. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just ballet. Um, wow. Was, yeah, wow. It, was, it was just ballet. It was a ballet school called the Rock School of Dance Education in Philadelphia. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny because you you kind of, every all, everyone who goes to that school goes to these big conservatories that are very concentrated on becoming a ballet dancer, um, which is, you know, a very strict focus at a very young age. Um, we all come kind of out of the same place where we're in our normal academic schools and we're the only ones who are like, well, I'm becoming a dancer when I grow up. And people are like, <laughs> like, I'm becoming a fireman. Or, or like, even even when you get a little more conscious of it and you're not in like the younger years, you're older and you're really maybe formulating something. They're like, well, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a thing, maybe. Or, or people, honestly, after fifth grade, don't really know and don't even know into university. Um, yeah. So to kind of be this floating head of like, well, like this is something that I am and will do and, and have such strength behind that idea was odd um, and then very comforting and, and um, um, validating when you get into a space where everyone's like, this is a focus and this is real and this is something we're doing um, and this is something tangible. And how have you kind of mixed with, I guess, having your whole life when you went into that situation where everyone around you is doing dance and ballet how do you mix that up with like we we're speaking about earlier having those moments of relaxation and checking in with yourself versus really really working hard as well to what you're doing did you did you find that that was more difficult when you were suddenly surrounded by everything versus if you're in more of like a traditional school where there are more people who are more open to being all right with relaxing it could be. I think the the stamina of a young person um, kept me going, which was yeah. always helpful. Um, but I think you know I adopted something very early on from one of my first Russian Russian ballet teachers, which was prior to going to this conservatory, um, where I mean he was the catalyst for me really falling in love with the Russian technique and style of, of training. Um, and we had these stretch classes every every week um, where he showed me the importance of, of becoming more limber and, and being able to really use my physicality through or, or, or speak through my physicality um, and how the facility begets more physicality and more expression. And I found um, time every morning, um, you know, people would call the warm up, but I would leave. I'd get to the studio um, and still usually do about an hour before anyone else did. Um, and it was kind of a meditative um, resetting, checking in moment. Of course, in my younger years, I was still trying to gain flexibility. At this point, I have a lot and 
it's very easy for me to just like jump into a split if I need to. Um, but my point being that um, it just is kind of a, a mental checklist and kind of feeling my body and kind of meditating for real and, and um, finding space to breathe, reset, and not overthink about what I need to do that day, especially because it is such a constant schedule at that age and as a professional. Mm. And it's interesting that you brought up that have you always had Russian ballet teachers or was it, was it that specific teacher who really opened you up to that side? Because I do know that you went to Russia to study even deeper. We'll probably jump into that in a second. But has, has there always been that influence with the teachers or was it one teacher and then you kind of kept exploring that, that discipline in that area of the art? It was, I always had Russian teachers from the beginning. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I had a teacher who was American, but Russian taught, um, and then graduated, graduated into um, Russian teachers from Russia in Philadelphia. And so wow. I kind of stuck with that my entire training life. And I guess going through that conservatory, did you then decide that you knew you were going to go to Russia to take that next step to learn the discipline even deeper than you had in the US? I definitely knew that I wanted to. Um, it, the opportunity came and I was like, yes, this is perfect. This is, mm. this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. Um, had I not known that it was possible, I don't know if I'd end up there, but I think I mean, I, say, I always say things like that, but I was a crazy, ambitious, um, hungry, um, to do more type of uh, kid. And, and I think I would have made something like that happen if, if it wasn't just presented to me. Yeah. How does that even come about? Is it something where you have to go to Russia and get in contact with them and start doing auditions? Or do they have people naturally coming to different countries to find people to head over there? It's usually pretty complicated. Um, you, it's easier for Europeans um, to get there just because of, not just because of the proximity, but because um, the Russian schools and companies don't rarely scout from America, um, right. whether it be relations or distance, whatever. Um, so I was very lucky in that um, the first year that the Bolshevik Ballet Academy was doing a summer workshop in New York um, was one of the first years that I was going to do a summer workshop and I went, um, I took classes, um, it's, it lasts like six weeks and at the end, the last week is like parent week slash evaluation week and then there's a performance at the end and um, it was the first and last time that the director of the academy came for that whole week. And so she watched all the classes, she watched the performance, and at the end, um, I was awarded with like a free trip to go to study there um, as an international student, and then they wanted to keep me longer and uh, have me stay at the school. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and going, and like uprooting your life, I guess, and going to Russia, you, you were living by yourself, am I right? Yes. Well, I was living in the dorms there, but yes, essentially, essentially because the the dorm mothers were just, you know, there, like not really. I, we we were <laughs> very around. free. They're they're around, you know. <laughs> we we had our space. <laughs> if you need a band aid, but I didn't. It's funny because people say it like that to me a lot. Did you like when you uprooted your life? It's funny because I, um, similar to how I feel now, which we'll get into another time, but um, I'm in the Cayman Islands or, or even when we're, you know, in full swing of things with American Ballet Theater and, and we're going on tour, um, I feel less uprooted because when we're traveling somewhere, I don't have the adult responsibility of my apartment or these societal things that we think about every single day that are in conjunction with with the thing that we're trying to do and wanting to love to do, but then like taxes and, and taxis and buying a Metro card and thinking of all these things where uh, we go on tour and the theaters across the street and they give us the pamphlet and we have per diem. And it's kind of like, I'm an artist without any frivolous extras. I can just be, and I can just think, and I can do. Um, and so I think similarly to that, when I moved to Russia, it was, I am just, I'm in this haven um, of ballet and I don't have to um, 
do I don't have to do anything besides focus on this and it's hard and tedious and people are like they're the meanest and I was like I don't I love this this is this is so um focused and I really got to hone um my craft and my skills I find it really interesting what you're saying there around like creating this bubble so you read everything else in your head can just fall to the back so you can just have that laser focus and i do find it interesting you're saying like well when you went to russia the the only reason was because you wanted to do ballet so when you're there that's all your headspace is because that's why that's why you've flown there that's why you're living there and so that's why you show up every day and do that did you definitely find i guess all of that time building up before you went to russia was it truly in Russia that you found your own voice as like as a creator and a, and a dancer or is that something that you feel like is kind of like feathered throughout or like woven throughout your learning or is that something that you really felt like when you focused on it in Russia that's when you you picked it up I think I found symbioses in in Russia with the way that I approach being an artist or being myself as an artist um but definitely in my younger years um i would choreograph on myself a lot um and had a very very vivid and um uh i don't know colorful imagination if you were like was never i could never shut it off and mm. um was into this kind of discovery of self and discovery of other things and reaching out through through that and using my art as a catalyst for talking about questions or thinking about questions that we have about everything um and so when i got to russia it was just um serendipitous that i was going to the bolshoi ballet academy where they are known for their bravura they're known for their passion and it's something that has stayed steady through um czar times through the soviet times and and up until now and um it was amazing because i remember we had acting classes with the stanislavski masters we had these character folk classes that sound like oh we're just like clicking our heels but it was a really in-depth um dissecting of culture and dissecting of origin um that connected you to the source and all these again all these teachers at the school come from this lineage that you can trace trace back all the way to like Tsar Nicholas and and Ivan the Terrible. So it's it was crazy because you end up one being a part of this lineage and two getting information from the source about the beginning to now and 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 really delving into the expression of humanity um if you will because again um it was something that I mean ballet started as of course it's it's a vocabulary that is made to look beautiful um but it was also um in its time in its inception uh, made to express what was going on in the times um it's from the courts and they were dancing it in the courts and they were talking about things and um just rambling now <laughs> no 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 yeah. I, I was it was actually bringing up one of my questions i know we've spoken about it before but how do you feel about your expression as a person do you feel like you can express yourself better within a movement than with an actually actual spoken word mm -hmm. i think yes <laughs> it's a simple answer um it's as easy as that yes i do but it really it's really there is something so interesting about that i mean people we talk about body language we talk about um facial expressions um but i don't think that people dissect enough what it really means to have a nuanced bod bodily experience i don't want to say it in a weird sounding way um body experience <laughs> let's not, so let's that's, not talk that about that like something medical it's talk uh... about it over your morning coffee um no um but but really is um back to this thing that I choreographed on two of my friends um I I like to choreograph um with a question in mind um about whatever and you know I'm not trying to be deep but about humanity and stuff and uh I was obsessed with this idea um from my past lovers 
um, that we can never, there are things that we can never say because we're not in each other's heads. So you can look at someone, you can say, I love you, but there's something like you never know the truth, which is not, not skepticism or being pessimistic about whether or not this person loves you or whether or not you have this feeling. But at the end of the day, you're the only one in your head and they're the only one in their head. And there's nothing else connecting you besides your words and your physicality and maybe this cosmic chemical thing as well. So I based their duets and they are an actual couple off of that. Um, and there are many layers, one of them being there's a, a line from a poem that kind of characterized that so much and in a very positive and beautiful and sad way. Um, it goes, um, I can't seem to make out your face, but even in the dark, I know you're smiling and not saying all the same things I don't say. And I thought that that line was just like, it gave me chills. It kind of gave me chills just now um, because it's this knowingness of knowingness and acknowledgement of each other and kind of this like nudge or snicker towards we, I know, we know, you know, I know, love, you know. And so I based that off that, off the question, and then off of these two individual stories. And and um, it's too much to go into, but in the choreography, you know, we think maybe a layman would be like, oh, so you like reached and you said a heart and then you kissed and, and that was the choreography. And I'm like, no, there's there's so much about their stories that um, as much, she had someone pass away who she was married to and, and she like reached for him in a, in a weird way, but it turned into a movement and he pulled her back and they found each other. And again, too much to say, but um, <laughs> there was a lot of nuance in the movements that the audience wouldn't recognize as a word, um, but would feel the depth of the expression and the feeling and in the desire to, to, to communicate it. Yeah. In long. I would say in short, but that was not short. No, I, 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 I do find it all really interesting and especially with movement and like, and music as well. Like there's so much that you can express without saying the words, but also words like you're saying poems that influences and heavily influences the movement you do as well. So it's never that one trumps the other. It's just that they all intertwine and some people know how to speak in one where others know how to speak in another. And yeah, I, I do find it really fascinating. And with your time in, in Russia, am I right that you were the first African-American to graduate from the school you went to? Yes. How did you take that on and, and what did that feel like? Did it, did it feel like anything? I know from bits we spoke about before that when you were there, it didn't even really cross your mind. It was just that you were there to learn how to dance and you only really reflected on actually the people in the room near the end. But what, yeah. what was that experience like? Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, my entire life I've had a white mom, a black grandmother, I've been mixed and I have white brothers and um, identity is something that I've always not searched for, but um, played with, um, experimented with. I don't think that's the right way of saying it, but I've, I've thought about it and it's really interesting having these, this multi-tiered perspective. And so going into any situation, I never thought, I never went in black. You know, I, I kind of went mm -hmm. in as Gabe um, and, you know, give people, get, not give people the benefit of the doubt, but would go in as Gabe. And if I came out black because they they gave put the stereotype on me, then that was unfortunate. Um, and in some cases, really horrible. But in going to Russia, I didn't have any preconceived ideas. I think my mom was a bit worried. Um I stuck out like a sore thumb. Everyone was white and blonde, especially I remember arriving in the airport and kind of having this um, funny moment where <laughs> um, I don't know if there was a blonde convention that day at the airport, <laughs> but like I came out of the uh, airplane and I was like walking and the, they had arranged the car and everything, but I was walking through and everyone was like the most translucent blonde I'd ever seen the bluest, deepest, like kind of glowing, almost, um, what are those people called from, uh, 
Game of Thrones, whatever. Glowing oh, blue White eyes. Walkers. White like Walker ice, glowing icy blue eyes. eyes. Literally, <laughs> I was like, oh my. Like, I was like, where am What just happened? Um, I've never been surrounded by all blonde people, but this is interesting. Um, so that was funny. But in the Academy, they acknowledged, of course, I was the only black person there. Like, it was like white people and me. And, and, um, you know, it was a point of discussion, but it was more a point of discussion surrounding me, my culture, as opposed to my race, in a way. You know, I, I was the one from a different place. There were two other, three other Americans, but um, I was a different person from a different place that they wanted to understand. And so naively, they would, you know, speak about my color, which is, you know, not politically correct where we come from. Um, but something that wasn't a point of contention, it was a point of interest and, um, you know, correcting language was a thing and correcting how to approach it was a thing, but um, the intent was to understand and, and um, regardless of my skin color, I was fully accepted and, and um, if anything, admired for, for my hard work coming from a different place, coming from a different country and acclimating to their culture and really trying to understand and, and integrate. And when you got to the end of that time and and you graduated, did it feel like it was the right time to head back to the U.S.? Because I guess you had been to a couple of different places. You had learned from many different perspectives. Did it feel like it was it was time to go back? What what did that feel like? I didn't want to leave um, Russia and or Europe, um, right. which sounds sounds pretty vague. But um, I had never seen myself dancing in America. Uh, but I was at that age, as I said, you know, six, 16, maybe 15, 15 through 18 or 16 through 18 um, is around the age that you can become a professional dancer. And it's kind of a little fork in the road, whether or not you're going to stay in school for another year or not. And so I was a year younger than my class, who was the graduating class of that year. And they were like, well, you know, um, you could come back another year. Um, the Bolshevik Theater could potentially be interested. Hopefully, that would be a crazy thing. Um, but, you know, up to you. So I, I went back to America and I started doing, I did a summer program for the American Ballet Theater and uh, got into the company. <laughs> like, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the, director, the director taught a class and um, the next day I got a, um, Someone called a meeting with me and invited me for the junior company. And a few months later, I joined the main company. Um, so it was pretty seamless in a very strange way. Um, but it was also deeply devastating for me. Um, and it was a really weird, hard time because I knew, again, that American Ballet Theater was at this caliber. They were the Bolshevik Theater of America, um, mm. for lack of a better phrasing. But it wasn't necessarily where I wanted to be, but I was accustomed to making these decisions at a young age where I knew something was better for me, even though it was against something I wanted to do. So when you when you take that professional leap, like you become a professional ballet dancer for the first time, how did that feel? Because I guess it's mixed emotions, it being maybe not what you had envisioned going forward, but then it, it happened and you're there. And American Ballet Theatre, from everything that I've seen, is is really cool and they've got some amazing stuff that they're doing. And what was that like to navigate that in the professional space when everything before that had been like preparing for that time to be a professional? And then when you get it, how did you feel? At the Bolshoi school, we were very, very independent, um, mm. and they they treated us, especially in the upper school, they treated us as if we were professionals, and so it wasn't that fun. I mean, we would go on tour as 14 to 16-year-olds, um, sometimes 18, and we'd fly to Greece, and they'd be like, here's an envelope of cash, um, classes down the street, there's a bus that you can take, um, show up with the shows on Saturday. Bye. And like, we just be alone, <laughs> alone in Athens and just like making our way. And, and similarly, that's how the company works. You're, you're expected to do your job, come to rehearsal, take class, um, do the performance well, of course, but you're kind of just free, a free agent in the country. And, um, it was like that there. It was, of course, there's the school aspects when you're back in, in Russia. 
Um, but you're very, you're at an early age, especially in that school, you're um, expected to be responsible for yourself. Um, and I think that's true for many ballet um, academies. And so when I joined the company, uh, well, when I joined the junior company first in the American Ballet Theater, um, which is just like the younger people who aren't really in the company yet, uh, it felt like a step backwards. It felt like I was stepping into school oh, really? again. Yeah. And that was hard. But then when I got into the company, I was like, oh, yeah, I know what this is. So moving into the professional side of it, it felt very much like you were back in in Russia where they did give you that freedom and did just expect you to do exactly what you're meant to be doing. Yeah. Do you always feel like as a child and going through ballet, you had to grow up faster or do you just think that you had to take what you were going to do more seriously? Yeah, I think all of the above. I mean, I, it's funny because there's, uh, I feel like this is less so in Europe, but I, there's some weird arrested development within the ballet community you do take what you do seriously and you do take responsibility for yourself. And a lot of that does translate into your life, your bills, your, you know, all, all the things that are um, societally expected for you to do as an adult. Um, but there's, I found it more in America than I did in Russia and uh, Europe in general. Maybe it, it has something to do with culture, cultural expectation, um, or knowledge of or understanding of how to conduct yourself and that kind of is a, a laid out format to, to life. Um, not that freedom doesn't beget, I don't know, mental development, but um, there's mm. a, there's a, there's an emotional immaturity um, in a lot of American dancers. Um, that's unfortunate. It's, you can tap into this passion on stage and, and artistic idea and maybe it's the playful um childlike way of creating but then when it comes to life there's some there's a lot of deficits where you're kind of like how how do you exist as a human if you're if you're <laughs> um i don't know crying over spilled milk um or i don't know it, it it's it's a i don't think i have a definitive definitive answer for that but there's a lot that you have to learn early. And I think that if you're a type of person like me who tries to apply it to everything, um, you do have to grow up quickly and you do take what you do very seriously. Some people take segments out and are highly functional in some ways and very dysfunctional in others. Mm. And I guess you find that with a lot of maybe disciplines and I don't know, professional sports people as well, where you because you have to push your body and physically and, and all of that to such a high level, sometimes there are other things that you have to leave out to be able to take the time to do that. And so, yeah, I do find that very interesting that, especially at a young age where you are still having those building blocks of development, sometimes some do get missed because you are so focused on those other things. Yeah, it is very interesting. Do you think that if you had approached ballet later in life rather than from a child, you would have a different perspective on all of this? Or do you think that's always kind of been ingrained within yourself? Um, I feel like it's always been kind of ingrained um, in which part the application of, of the, of the training. Yeah, yeah. 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 I feel like I, I always had um, the need to, to progress, to learn and to uh, work and act efficiently. Um, maybe it's OCD, <laughs> um, but <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, was diagnosed, but, um, I think I've worked it into, to using it to, for my benefit as opposed to my detriment, which is, I think a good, good, uh, anecdote for everyone, you know, to, to do that in general, whether or not you have OCD, um, to, to work your neuroses or your weird things into something that can hopefully be beneficial in some way. Yeah. And I guess yeah. looking back at like the, cause you've now been with American Ballet Theatre for 10 years. Am I right? Is it around yes. then? Yeah. Yeah. Did you think that when you joined the company and, and took that professional step, you were going to be with the company for this amount of time or is it kind of like it's flown by and all the experiences I've done as well? 
It's definitely not flown by. I definitely didn't think I was going to stay here this long. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it was, I felt the years. <laughs> um, I, I felt the years. Um, I definitely feel like I'm waiting for a transition to happen. Um, my director, though, just uh, announced his retirement, um, which means a very big transition when it comes to inclusion and diversity. So looking back at these 10 years and looking through all the different performances you've done, you've performed in front of thousands and thousands of people. You've now become a, a soloist within American Ballet Theatre, which is so exciting. And are there a couple of moments, because we've got about 10 minutes left before we're finishing up, are there a couple of moments that really stand out to you as either pivotal moments for you in your career or moments that you, within that moment, you knew this is something I'm not going to forget? It was actually very near the beginning of me joining American Ballet Theater that our resident choreographer, he's, he used to be the director of the Bolshoi Theater, um, and then became a choreographer. Now he's our resident choreographer and, um, understood the lineage that I came from, which a lot of people I realized very early on did not understand in terms of Russian training and the, and the approach to, to that excellence, right. um, every day. And, um, Within that, he kind of took me under his wing and, and started featuring me very, very early on, which is not very heard of in, especially in American Ballet Theater. In the ballet world, it's, you know, you can give some chances out to people, but at ABT, it's, it takes very long for them to kind of recognize talent and or promote them. Um, and I don't mean yeah. to rank, but I mean of putting them in bigger roles. And uh, I think it was my... I joined ABT's main company in April. I started with a junior company in September and then joined the main company in April. And then that following fall was already learning a principal part behind these two mega ballet stars. And so it was crazy to see Vasilya, Simkin, and then Cher um, on, on these rehearsal schedules. And I think one, seeing that by itself was kind of like, whoa, <laughs> these oh, are people snap. that, it's crazy. <laughs> these are people that I've watched on YouTube since I was, well, I don't know how old. And then now I'm all of a sudden held to the same esteem and or just in the studio with them, which feels crazy. And, and um, that was a moment for me where I was like, this is going somewhere. And that was very early on as well. So that kind of like, was that spark to be like, yes, this is 100%. Yeah. This is why I'm here. This is what we're doing. For sure. For something which is very much a in-person live event experience, how has it been going into maybe more of a live streaming sense, doing the performances you do? Do you feel like, do you still have the same feel as before when you're in front of a crowd or has it shifted? And, and how do you find those indicators that it seems to be responding well to what you're doing? Well, so, I mean, it's just, uh, it's a different place to navigate. I though I was immediately excited to, to figure out new ways to make that happen. Um, but yeah, we're, we're part of a live art form. We're used, we're used to, um, again, for lack of a better phrase, immediate gratification as opposed to making a piece, sending it off and waiting for critique. Um, and so that was a different space to move into, but it was still, I was still doing what I wanted to do and I was still cultivating and I almost had more time to, to hone certain things or, or hone what I was trying to say in, a, in an interesting way. Still, still would love to do it live, um, but found out how to really navigate the digital space in terms of creating something that was meaningful and still had the feeling of, of movement or live um, interaction. And so I think the, fir the first thing that I did was start my web series, um, which uh, I wanted to capitalize on my relationships and um, ABT's name and, and all of the above to, to kind of bring collaboration to us. And so I made it to a four-part series where there was a dancer in each series, in each episode that uh, collaborated with a different artist from a different medium. And, and it was really amazing 
because I made it so that they, one, wouldn't look anything up about each other, and two, um, would meet on the day as if we were in a bar in New York um, and kind of have to, like, build themselves up from the ground up, as opposed to coming in and being like, so you know I'm a soloist with the American Ballet Theater. Yes, this is what I do. Um, we know we knew that, like, one was a dancer and they were maybe a soloist and we knew that one was a chef and they make yummy food and people know them but not much more and and it was really really amazing to watch them kind of have this conversation where um whether or not they had egos before there were no egos because you kind of had to have a genuine conversation with someone who seemingly was under a rock to to your fame um and you and what you do it was beautiful because they made genuine connections. Um, they really opened up because they had the, they didn't have the pressure of their name um, or what they did. They, they had the um, space for the vulnerability to really talk about what did inspire them to, to start what they did. Um, and then also collaborate from afar in some funny, weird way and, and having to have that comfortability of, of, meeting this way you know virtually and 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 being this vulnerable out of nowhere and then making something together was a a big push to to create something that felt like it was living art um and in the end they all came up with something that felt like you were a part of it and i guess that you know is is tv and that is you know series is that these are those are movies and um, in my way, it did feel as cliche as it sounds. It felt like a dance. And if people wanted to go and see these and check these out, are they still available for people to go and watch? They're on YouTube permanently. It's called, and I'm sorry for making it a French name. If I, if I extend the series, I'm going to change it, but it's called Pas de <laughs> which is P-A-S space D-E space D-E-U-X. Um, and it's on American Ballet Theater's um, uh, YouTube page. And is this, or did this inspire your connection with Alicia Keys and where that came from with the collaboration front? This was in the series. So I, I was in the fourth episode. Um, Can we take a moment? Alicia Keys. <laughs> yeah. Alicia Keys. Yeah. You have collaborated, Gabe, with Alicia Keys and totally. you're now friends, as, yeah. as I would say. We're so how did, how did that feel? And collaborating with someone like that, who's so renowned in their industry, yeah. what, what was that like? And I know that you were saying that it's kind of like you meet and it's like they're coming out from under a rock with regards to you don't really know who they are. But when it came to meeting Alicia Keys, you're not going to be like, so what do you do? Yeah, Alicia, no. I've, never, I've never heard of you before. Wait, what, how do you pronounce it? <laughs> Alicia? Um, Alicia? Is that it? Yeah, is, is that how you do it? Um, no, but it was... Um, yeah, I mean, one, that was amazing. Um, but I knew that as the creative director of the project and kind of director too, I knew how I wanted to cultivate talent and and not, you know, not hiding anything. I knew that I wanted star power because I knew that, that we needed the influence of someone of at her caliber um, or we needed the influence of an artist of that caliber to help open up this conversation or bridge the gap between pop culture and classical art. She was actually the first person on my list because I knew that I wanted to have a genuine conversation with someone who who would really think and talk. And so curated it that way. And she jumped on it immediately because it was an interesting pitch, hopefully, obviously. Um, yeah. But... You know, sans the star power. I mean, I try to, I try, I want to be honest about everything. I try to be honest about everything. Obviously, there's a star power aspect, but then she's also an amazing human, human being in the public eye. You know, we mm-hmm. look at your, you look at her Instagram, you look at these articles, and she's not some fake someone. She seems like she's really human through the core, even though she's immensely famous. And so I knew that I wanted to be able to have a conversation with her about uh, the same way that the other three um, episodes went. And I went in kind of trying to clear my head and and erase some of the fame to be able to talk to her. 
And I did at first it was a bit daunting, but then we, we started talking and she kind of pried into me and then, and then it kind of was this amazing exchange where I could meet Alicia without meeting Alicia Keys, you know? Mm. Um, I really did feel like we made a really uh, deep and, and interesting connection um, where we were both very, very vulnerable. And um, I, I like saying it that way. Like I met Alicia, not Alicia Keys. And um, that's something that is really hard to do nowadays, not only because of COVID, but I think it's really hard to meet Billie and not Billie Eilish. You know, I, you don't get to really connect with these artists because um, you're in a sea of, of fans um, and not everyone wants to know Alicia. Everyone wants to know why she said girls on fire, not where that came from and what that actually meant to her. That's amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> and again, uh, I'll put the link below for that four part series so everyone can go check those out if they were interested. But I, I do, I do really hope that you can carry that on and do more because um, when watching that one with you and Alicia, it was, it was awesome. It was really, really fun to watch. And I just think that it's things like this where looking back through your career and looking back through your training and it feels like there are a lot of opportunities out there, but you as an individual have been incredibly um, driven to find those and, and really take those on board when there's something there. But also you're the one creating the opportunities as well. There's a lot of stuff out there, but also you're going, well, if it's not there to take, I'm going to create something to give. And it's, and it's these things that I think of why I find you so fascinating and why I wanted to chat to you today because I just think it's, it's awesome what you've been doing and I can't wait to see, especially now that you've had the catalyst of these couple last um, projects, to see where that goes in the future and, and what you end up doing. Is it going to be that you're still a, a ballet dancer or what, what other projects does this move into and what, yeah, I... I'm just very excited. Totally. Gabe. We're gonna be honest. <laughs> to totally, totally. No, I mean, I've, I've, I think you know, for years, I've had a million ideas and kind of uh, gave way to my career and and you know got lost in a bit of a machine of of work as people do, and but also mm. um, kind of this dynamic that was keeping me down. And there was a fuck it moment um, that happened when the pandemic happened, and then definitely um, not to bring it down again, but definitely the George Floyd thing um it was more it was more the um facade of my company coming to me and, and trying to push me into the forefront um that and it felt very artificial and i was i was done i was like all right fuck all this i'm just gonna do me because i don't know why i'm trying to keep up this facade um anymore. I can't do this anymore. I really, mm. I, I have these ideas. I have these contacts and I feel like hopefully I can be a genuine force in this field and in art in general where um, I can be open, I can be honest and, and I can also create something that really feels genuinely um, authentic to everyone involved. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the big things I've also taken away from you as an individual is is that it's for everyone involved. It's not just for yourself. Like you want to create stuff for multiple people to collaborate on. It's not like you want to create something for you to be the star in and people can come and watch you. It's like, no, 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 I've got this concept and this idea and we need all of these incredible people to come in and to collaborate to make it what it is rather than just trying to carry it all on your back. So it's it's very cool to see all of that come together as well. Thank you, thank you. It's all good. So I think that that actually has come to our time now, Gabe. Uh, it's been an awesome chat. I've, I've learned loads and I didn't know about the, the more detailed areas of your training, which is why I think we dove into that quite a bit. But I, I can't wait to see what you do moving forward. If people wanted to check you out and, and take a look at what stuff you're creating at the moment, where can they find you online to do so? I would say the best place is Instagram. At Gabe Stoneshare, yeah. At Gabe Stoneshare. Sweet. Yeah. Gabe, thank you so much for coming on today and have a great rest of your day. 
Thank you. You as well. And stay sunny, San Diego. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Creative Catalyst. This is episode 17 of the year, so I hope you enjoyed it. Gabe was a really good friend of mine who I met, and I just wanted to have him share his story because I think it's a really interesting one, and I hope you found value from this as well. If you did, please feel free to share it with someone who you think might find it useful, but also give us a shout-out on Instagram if you wanted to, at Creative Catalyst Podcast. If you do that, I'd really appreciate it. I hope you have a good rest of the day, and, yeah, see you next week for another episode of Creative Catalyst.